Hello, and welcome back to another edition of EdChoice Chats. This is Mike McShane, Director of National Research at EdChoice, and this is our monthly installment of our Tracker podcast. For those of you who probably know, each month we partner with Morning Consult to poll a nationally representative sample of Americans. We oversample parents to make sure to get a representative sample of them as well. And I am joined by my colleagues, John Kristoff and Colin Ritter, to talk about a poll that we had in the field from July 7th through 17th of 2023. You know, we are in these sort of dog days of summer here, so we won't really sort of belabor this poll. I think it's probably fair for all of us to say that most of us are not necessarily in school mode. Maybe by the time you're hearing this podcast, you're probably getting back into school mode. But when this was taken in the sort of week after <laughs> the week or two after the 4th of July, basically the farthest point from when people are thinking about school. So there were some interesting things in it. We asked a couple new questions that I think are relevant, whether it's the summertime or whether it's the school year. And so we certainly want to dig into those. But don't worry, we will be brief. And then you can get back to enjoying the last gasps of your summer. Sorry to be a bummer to think of it in that way. But anyway, Colin, we asked some new questions this month about information, like where parents get information and trustworthiness. Can you break down what those questions were and what we found? Yeah, 100%. So we started talking this month for the first time about information sources, like you said, Mike, and where parents get them, how trustworthy they are, and also what would they like to see and what would be most useful to them when thinking about you know, possibilities for future information sources or just kind of ways to make getting information about your kid's education and K-12 education in general just better. So the first question was, from what sources do you typically receive information about K-12 education and also the education of your child specifically? And perhaps unsurprisingly, it was like four out of five parents said they get it directly from their school. 77% of parents said they get information about their child's education directly from their school. So that is not surprising at all. And it actually dwarfs the second most popular answer, which was friends or relatives, which was selected by 24% of parents. And then followed up by things like social media, email newsletters, community events, things like that. I think it was funny that we included billboards in here and 4% of parents selected billboards. I don't think I've ever seen information about a child's education posted on a billboard, but that's an interesting one there. Um, but 77% was the biggest directly from school. We also asked about the trustworthiness of these sources and directly from school was trusted by about 71% of parents. So a lot of parents trust the information that they're getting from their school. The next runners up were church and the email newsletters. You know, about two thirds of parents said those were trustworthy. Friends or relatives, uh, about three in five parents said that those sources were trustworthy. Um, the least trustworthy sources, according to parents, were social media, news articles, and the television. So that was not surprising either. But 40% of parents say that they trust those sources. And 50% of parents trust billboards, which, again, just kind of made me laugh when I was looking at that. I will be paying attention to all billboards next time I drive across Missouri and see if there's anything about K-12 education on there. Missouri, well known for its highway billboards. You can get a whole entertainment, those four hours from Kansas City to St. Louis, you can fill them with lots of billboard content. Is Missouri the state with the most, it can't be the state with the most billboards, but maybe like per mile of highway. I don't know. That's something I'll spend five minutes researching today, which will impact nothing, but will still be useful in our next RTL meeting. 
I've driven across Missouri one time and I remember like distinctly have memories of those like billboards. And this was like half my life ago. There's something about it. No, I think that's a really great point because I live most of my childhood in Arkansas and I just recently moved to Kansas City, Missouri, and I see no billboards about K-12 education. And it's not surprising that that could potentially be chalked up to the fact that Arkansas, well, Arkansas is now relatively rich with choice compared to a couple of years ago, but Missouri is not like Indiana in that regard. So yeah, that is a good reminder for people from states like that. I will say, if I can interrupt for just a second, just a quick note, for whatever it's worth, I know that maybe like billboards for K-12 education sound really weird. And I don't know how people would feel about that, you know, if they're not used to seeing them. I will say here in Indianapolis, which you can make an argument is one of the more choice rich areas in the country, billboards for schools are actually not that uncommon to see, particularly for a lot of charter schools. You can see some ads, but I have seen one for like the local public school district as well. I know there's some research out there about the effects of you know, how does marketing or advertising change when more schooling options arrive in an area? So I just wanted to point out, depending on where you are and how choice rich your area is, it might change what kind of advertising or marketing you see for schools. Well, no, and I think actually John cut across you. Now I'm going to do it. But, you know, something that you brought up, which I think is interesting, especially around so where people get their information and also where they view them, you know, sort of as most trustworthy. In both cases, it's directly from the school. And it's something I've been really thinking about when it comes to kind of like the pandemic recovery and, you know, because we've had this sort of incongruous thought where, you know, surveys are telling us a lot of objective data that we have is that students really suffered during the pandemic, that they lost or didn't make academic progress or actually sort of lost place. But, you know, parents don't necessarily agree with that. Like when we're surveying parents and asking them how well their students are doing, they're saying, oh, like, actually, that's going pretty well. Part of me thinks that this could be somewhat of a solution to that conundrum, which is like, well, you know, most of them are getting information from their child's school. They are trusting their school to shoot them straight on how their child is doing. And it's possible that, you know, like a child's grades or just the information that's being sent home from the school is not super accurate, right? Like the, the school is glossing over some of the problems that it had during the pandemic or for whatever reason is viewing student performance through rose-tinted glasses. And so I think it's actually really informative to the broader conversation in education, which is sort of, there's lots of folks saying, listen, we need to have kids involved in tutoring. We need to do all sorts of stuff to try and make up for this. Well, the first step of that is sort of convincing parents to participate in it. You know, the first, <laughs> the first step of any program is identifying that you have a problem. And if schools are not accurately conveying that information to parents, and they are the most common source, the most trustworthy source, that could explain some of that issue. Yeah. And I was actually reading a, a Twitter conversation between two people in the education policy world, and they were talking about the trustworthiness of each type of school, public versus private, things like that. And to plug our Schooling in America survey that we just released, the majority of parents in public school and charter school, and then three out of four parents in private school, so that they'd give their school an A or a B grade. They'd give their child's school that grade. So I think if the trustworthiness of those schools are in question, I feel like those numbers might be lower in how they grade their school. So the trust of schools is a really interesting point. And then the last information question, just to tie it all up, we asked parents what they might consider to be useful when it comes to getting the information that they need for their child's education. 
And 66% of parents said that it'd either be extremely or very useful to have a dedicated website for searching and finding information. And then 59% said that a directory of possible schools and other education providers close to where you live, which I think was an interesting inclusion into this survey. I'd like to see how many parents actually have such a thing, but they would find that very useful. And then the least useful, they said, would be a dedicated hotline to answer questions, get information. So it sounds like parents would prefer to do some research online rather than over the phone, which again, not super surprising, but interesting nonetheless. I think one thing that's interesting to me, if we can just dwell on this point for like a little further is sure, the most trusted source of information that parents have about school and their kids' education specifically is the school itself, you know, which makes sense, I suppose, as being the most trustworthy. But you know, there's near a dozen different options that we gave people to identify about where they're getting their information from and how much they trust each one. While, you know, three times as many parents said that they get information about education through their kid's school than any other category, the gap is not nearly so big when it comes to how much parents actually trust information, right? So schools are still highest at 71%, you know, rating pretty high trustworthiness. But then, you know, you've still got two thirds of trustworthiness from church or newsletters, 60% trusting friends and relatives. Even half of people say that, you know, they would trust brochures and flyers to get information about things, right? Is to reiterate what Colin said. So there's, I think, interest in getting information from elsewhere. Maybe it's just a matter of accessing that information or how available that information is to people. And I think from another side of the coin here, especially from us who spent a lot of time in these surveys, thinking about things from a school choice angle, I know that surveys that we've done in the past of parents in states with robust school choice programs, if they're not participating, one of the things that we ask them is, you know, why are you not participating in the program? And parents are nearly equally likely to say in the couple instances where we've done this in Ohio and Arizona, the strongest reason is that they're just happy with their child's school, which is great. But then like the second most common reason, which is not far behind, is that they just didn't know that the program existed. So the idea of, you know, marketing alternatives is something that's very important if we want parents to be able to take advantage of other options that exist in their area. Given that there seems to be like a lack of information, it makes sense if most parents are only getting information about education from their kid's school. I think their kid's school probably is not going to be the best advertiser of alternatives or maybe even supplemental services that parents could take advantage of. But these other trustworthy information sources, church, friends, relatives, even just basic marketing like email and brochures. Parents also trust that information as well, which makes me think that marketing actually still could very well be effective. And also, you know, this is like a bigger task, but the second most popular information source that we presented as different things that could be done to help people get information they need. Like, you know, 60% of parents thought a directory of possible schools and other education providers would be very or extremely helpful. So there's like a demand for, or an interest in, or this idea of 
getting information from other sources and specifically even information about other educational alternatives is something that resonates with a lot of the parents that we talk to, like to a much stronger degree than I anticipated. A lot of interesting takeaways I think you're going to have from these new questions we asked this month. You know, and John, we asked another set of questions. I think we've sort of danced around them for a couple months, but we have some good numbers this month around AI, artificial intelligence. Could you talk a little bit about those questions and what we found? Yeah, AI is something that we've touched on a little bit before, but we have addressed a little bit more directly this month. We start with a simple question, which is just to what extent, if at all, have you ever heard of artificial intelligence, also called AI? And it turns out that among all adults who took our survey, 76% said that they had heard a lot or at least some about artificial intelligence. 31 specifically said that they had heard a lot about AI. People were most likely to have heard about AI if they were high-income earners, if they were highly educated people, if they were male or identified as politically liberal, and maybe least surprising if you were like low income or in a rural area, you were less likely to have heard about AI, but still you're looking at like two thirds of people being familiar with AI, even at the bottom end of the scale here. So knowledge about, or having heard something about AI has pervaded throughout a lot of society. We gave some examples about what AI could be ChatGPT, which is something that we've asked specifically about before. And just as a reference point, I believe it was only like 30 or 35% said that they had heard something about ChatGPT specifically. And I can't remember how many months ago that was. I just thought that was an interesting comparison point because we follow up this AI question with, have you ever used AI before in your free time or at work? And we give three examples of ChatGPT, ChatSonic, and Bloom. 62% said that they had never used it before, whereas 19% said that they used it in their free time. 4% said that they'd used it for work and 6% said that they've used it for free time and work. So 29% have used it to some capacity. Interestingly, school parents were actually unusually likely to have used AI services like this in some capacity because they were 37% of them said that they'd used it compared to 29% of the general public. And perhaps not surprisingly at all, the younger you were, the more likely you were to have used one of these programs before. There was one demographic where over 50% had used an AI service before, and that was Gen Z, millennials not too far behind, and perhaps also not surprising. The older you were, the least likely you were to have used these programs with baby boomers, the baby boomer generation being least likely to have used the programs used an AI service with 15%. I still feel like 15% is actually pretty high. And the fact that that's the lowest number we have of, you know, like a demographic that's used AI, I think is pretty interesting. So just some interesting descriptive information about, I think, just how pervasive conversations about AI have become in our country and even how widely familiar people have made themselves with it. Yeah, absolutely. The numbers roughly sort of tracked with what I expected, but I'm always sort of surprised by the number of people who say that they've used AI stuff. Because like, obviously, I think probably all three of us probably have sort of played around with it. I've yet to really find a good way to apply it to anything other than sort of interests. Professionally, I have tried to use it a couple times. I've tried to use ChatGPT 
and it has given me incorrect information every time that I've used it. So I just stopped. And I'm not paying for the new one, though. So maybe it's just the old one. So everyone I tell that to who's like more bullish on AI is like, oh, the new one's much better. So, OK, I'll do that. Maybe that as everyone goes back to school, I'll get back into that one. You know, the numbers that stood out to me or that I was going to throw out is we've been asking these really interesting questions, kind of comparing parents and non-parents on a variety of different questions around satisfaction and happiness and enthusiasm and enjoyment. And I was kind of curious how the summertime would be different because I have had to learn since becoming a parent, and especially as kids get older and start to hit school age, that while summer is super fun for kids, it is not nearly as much fun for adults or for parents. I will be perfectly honest, when becoming a parent, I was completely oblivious to this fact. And I, like, had been ingrained in me for years and years and years. I always look forward to the summer. I'm like, summer, free time. But it turns out when kids are no longer in school, but you are working, uh, there's, a, there's an incongruity there that you have to navigate. And the days are longer, so there's more time in which you must navigate that incongruity. So I'm always interested. You know, we looked at the questions here around things like happiness and enthusiasm and enjoyment. And again, one of the things that I think is really interesting is we sort of consistently see that parents are, even in July, even at the time in which you are sort of really, kids are really full on and you've got a lot to do, we still see parents overwhelmingly saying that they are more hopeful than fearful. They have more purpose than without purpose. You know, they agree with the statement that they are enjoyment versus frustration. They are much more likely to say that they feel in control as opposed to overwhelmed. And this is even more so than non-parents. You think, you know, look, non-parents have the opportunity to sit by the pool drinking Mai Tais or whatever. And yet, when it comes to optimism, enthusiasm, all of those things, they're not scoring higher on that. So fellow parents, school is starting back up. I'm expecting to see these numbers jump back up when the kids head back to school. But it was interesting that it didn't necessarily dip as much as I thought it would. These seem to be relatively steady numbers, regardless of the time of year in which they're taking place. I'm just, I would throw it out to you guys. Anything else, Colin, did anything else kind of stand out to you this month? Yeah, and it came from actually one of our more evergreen questions, one that we've been asking since early 2020. So even before, you know, the start of COVID, which feels like forever ago, but we asked parents and the general public, do they feel K-12 education is going in the right direction or do they think it has gotten off on the wrong track? And a couple of trends that we typically see, one, that parents are much more optimistic than the general public when it comes to K-12 education locally in their state and also nationwide. Another trend we see is that local school district optimism is much higher than state and national. So again, it's like the closer you are in terms of, you know, proximity, whether it's the general public or a parent, you feel a bit better about your school down the street. And also you have a little bit more stake in it as a parent compared to, you know, the general public, you also feel a bit more optimistic. But the thing that stuck out the most this month is that parents, when we asked them, do they feel that K-12 education is going in the right direction? 60% of parents said that they do feel it is going in the right direction locally in their local school district. 59%, which is one of the highest levels we've seen since fall of 2022 and also going back to summer of 2021. So nearly two years ago, it was the last time we hit 60% and we are right at that cusp. But again, granted, state optimism is only at 46%. And then 
38% of parents feel that K-12 education nationwide is going in the right direction. But it stuck out to me because, you know, when we look at all adults in the general public, you know, they're going in separate directions here. 32% of Americans say that K-12 education is going in the right direction locally. That is a 27-point gap, one of the highest gaps that we've seen since we began asking the question in 2020. Another reason that's significant is that adults looking at the state level of education, 32% say it's going in the right direction there. So actually, it's tied now between local and state. Only 32% of Americans feel that it's going in the right direction. So that could be an interesting point if state were to flip and have higher levels of optimism than the local school district, which would be one of the first times we've seen that. They've been tied in the past, but never have we seen consistently state be higher than a local school district in terms of optimism. And then also looking at national numbers, only 24% of Americans feel optimistic about K-12 education at a national level. So pretty interesting distinction to be made there, and it could continue to go up. The gap could continue to widen, or we could see it come back to what we've seen previously. But that's just something to keep an eye on, and also something we saw in our Schooling in America survey, which again, everyone should check out. And that we had a podcast about that two weeks ago, so I'm not going to try and butcher the website URL. So go listen to that podcast and, and look at our dashboard because there's a ton of good stuff in there. Agreed. John, any uh, parting shots here? I just encourage everyone interested in school choice issues to check out the demographic tables that we have for our school choice questions. Because again, I think a lot of people, whenever they look at them or we present on them, people are surprised at how popular various school choice policies are with certain demographics. I think in this month in particular, the ESAs are popular with demographic groups that I think would not be at first on a lot of people's minds. So I just encourage people to check it out. I think there's a lot of interesting takeaways about differences and how school choice programs down to different groups of people, but also just generally how even among the least excited groups, there's still a pretty sizable majority you know, in, in support of school choice policies, but just would encourage people to check out the report online at choice.morningconsultintelligence.com, sedchoice.org, sedchoice.morningconsultintelligence.com for the satellite website with all this data. Check it out for yourself because I think there's good takeaways there. Fantastic. Well, John, Colin, it's great having the chats with you. John, thank you so much for putting those URLs out there so that I don't have to, but as always, you all can check out our websites that have all of this information, all of the crosstabs, all of our surveys, everything all neat and tidy in one place. I want to thank our podcast producer, Jacob Vinson. We'll edit this all together and make it sound great. And all of you for listening. And I look forward to chatting with all of you again on the next edition of Ed Choice Chats.